Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, look, we have so much to talk about. There is no point wasting time on the intros. Just know that my name is Simon Miller. You're watching What Culture Wrestling. And this is Ups and Downs, so Double or Nothing 2021. We take the finger of power the pop, and we give the goods up, and we give the bad bits a down. Everybody breathe. Let's go. be too over the top, cue me being over the top, but Serena D versus Riho on the pre-show may be one of the best kickoff matches I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it would have rocked anywhere on the card, and they also had a nice little touch, because I think both Serena Deeb and Riho were like, man, we need to establish one of us as a good guy, and one of us a bad guy. So after Riho went to shake Serena Deeb's hand, <laughs> she just slapped her right round the face. I mean, she basically just grabbed a sign that said, please boo me, I really need it in my life, although all it did was hit Riho's enrage switch. And to cut a long story short, even though she tried valiantly, she eventually ended up in the Serenity Lock poor lady had to tap out. This was truly excellent though, and if you are picking and choosing a matches to watch after the fact, I would absolutely put this one in there. It was here when the pay-per-view started properly, so I will use this moment just to say thank you and clap my hands together like a seal for all of the fans that were in Daly's place. I think there was about 5,000, but it sounded about 292,000. It was so loud, it was so passionate. It made me love professional wrestling and turned me into this frantic mess that you're looking at right now. And you know what? We rarely do this, but just for the crowd, it's getting an up. Also, because this nice person brought a sign saying, Simon, give me an up, and you always obey the sides. Brian Cage then walked out dressed like an actual machine, although at first I did think he had just got some tinfoil and wrapped it round himself. But tinfoil is really useful, especially when you're in the kitchen. You don't even need to worry about that. But he was taken on Hangman Adam Page, who got a monster pop, so that push has worked. And it's getting it up. Once again, though, the fans were just such a joy during this. I mean, they cheered Adam Page when he did a big dive. They booed Cage when he grabbed him and chucked him into the ring post. This was Cage versus Page in an age with no rage. And sometimes I don't like Sage. 
Sorry. Brian Cage then started curling the hangman because no matter where you are in your life, it's always good to get a sick bicep pump. But he shouldn't have done that because hangman was unable to reverse that into the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment. But we had a big one of those later, so here it was just used as a near fall. They then both fell out of the ring as Paige did a moonsault off the top onto Brian Cage as the fans obviously started shouting cowboy shit because it was a relevant time to do so. And for a small period after that, Brian Cage just used his strength and he really did whoop Adam Page's ass. He even gave him a suplex on the rampway. The problem, however, is that he got two inside his head. So he went, do you know what? I'm going to hit Adam Page with a buckshot lariat. So that's right, it was Brian Cage doing Adam Page's move. And that never goes well. And neither did it here either. He completely missed. Adam Page then decided, well, I'll do my finishing move, but it didn't work for him either. And this just triggered a sequence of near falls and near misses. Obviously, it almost wore me out. Of course, this is where Team Taz ran out and we got some of our story elements because Brian had told these guys beforehand, I don't care about the color orange right now. I have to do this by myself. So when he saw Hook and he saw Ricky Starks, he got on their face and said, damn it, would you just leave? He even refused to use the FTW belt. The problem with that though is that he was caught up in the fracas. Hangman did hit the buckshot lariat and he got the one, two, three. And if I was going to make a guess, and it doesn't really take a genius, I would say that Brian Cage and Team Taz are about to go on their separate directions. But this, however, was a terrific opener. The AEW World Tag Team titles are on the line and I tell you, if you are looking for some satisfaction in your tea, just watch the entrance for John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston got chanted for and cheered like he was the king of the world. And when you know his story, you will have a tear in your eye. Him and Moxley just went crazy to begin with. I mean, the bell hadn't even sounded. They were pounded on the young bucks. And honestly, we don't talk about the Jackson's facials enough. When Matt Jackson was getting choked out, his face, he looked like a cartoon. Brandon Cutler was then spraying them with that stupid cool spray to try and calm them down. But Mox and Kingston weren't having any of that. So they got him in the ring. They laid waste to that guy. And only then did we hear ding, ding, ding. I was like, well, it was a five minute beatdown. Now we're getting into the match. The Bucks are always dressed like they've been inspired by the video game Splatoon, so that was a nice touch. And if it wasn't for Nick Jackson poking their challenges in their eye, Mox and Kingston may have made sure work of this, but they absolutely did not. Even as bad guys though, the Bucks are just so innovative when it comes to their offense. I truly believe they are one of the best tag teams ever, and that's going to make everybody mad, but damn it, it's what my brain thinks. And if they hadn't taken out Moxley early on, maybe Eddie Kingston would have been able to make the tag. But like I say, they did not do this, so it was time for some tag team championship beatdowns. Kingston was able to save himself with an exploder though and got the hot tag, so John Moxley was like, oh, I'm gonna kill everyone. And then for the second match in a row, out came some interference idiots, and it was the Good Brothers. AEW was so smart with this, because do you remember what Frankie Kazarian had said a few weeks ago? He had gone, I am not going to let the elite get away with what they did for Christopher Daniels. So as soon as he saw the Gallows Anderson that were going to the ring, he stopped them, he cleared the deck, and we were back to a fair fight. There's also a big enough opening for the Jacksons to get back on top of things, and they gave an Indy Taker to John Moxley on the rampway. So I don't know why we were so focused on that poor ramp. He was just trying to do his job, and unsurprisingly, Mox was busted open. Man, Nick Jackson then went for a spear, and I even think they did the whole Roman Reigns ooh-ah thing, or maybe I just made that up in my head because that's what I wanted. But you do not show bait in this kind of situation. John Moxley fought out of it. He got the hot tag to Eddie Kingston. 
What a hot tag it was because once again, the fans just went, oh, Eddie Kingston, we love you. We want your kids. Everything from this point on was also insane because like our opener, there were just transitions and there were just reversals. You're like, I can't handle what's going on here. I mean, I think at one point, Nick Jackson reversed a paradigm shift into a sharpshooter. And that's like two plus two equals window. Box was still able to hit his big DDT, but Matt Jackson broke it up at the last second. And then the Bucks were just dishing out super kicks like they were going out of fashion. But John Moxley transformed himself into some kind of warrior. And all of these were smashing him into the face, but he was like, give me some more. When Matt and Nick Jackson write, if this fool isn't going to stay down, we will hit him with four, that's right, four BTE triggers till eventually his head just stopped working. He fell down and they pinned him for the one, two, three. I thought about going to sleep halfway through this because it was absolutely nuts and it exhausted me. And you even had some kind of comedy because once again, Eddie Kingston was just obsessed with trying to steal people's shoes. I do love that obsession though because who doesn't like nice trainers? And honestly, I don't think these four guys could have done a better job getting it up. The Casino Battle Royal was next and the big question, the big hoo-ha-ha beforehand was who's going to be the Joker, who's going to be the wild card and I don't think anybody actually predicted who it turned out to be. Before we do get there though we have to talk about our first five entrants that were indeed Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Dustin Robes and Max Caster. Fair play to that dude too, he did his rap here as again the crowd were like Matt Caster you're the best thing ever. And he mentioned Edge when it came to Christian. He laughed at the fact that Matt Seidel had fallen off the rope last year. And he basically insulted Dustin Rhodes' looks. This guy has something. I think he's going to climb his way to the top. Now, first I thought, oh my gosh, everyone's going to kill him because he had dished out these insults. But Powerhouse Hobbs was more interested in trying to murder Christian Cage. And then Max Caster got rid of Matt Seidel. I was like, oh man, maybe he's going to do something here. I was wrong. Christian dumped him out. Matt Hardy, Isaiah Cassidy, Tensor, Pentaco, and Nick Comorato were the next five in after this. And once again, we were not pulling any punches because Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy tried to attack Ten as he made his entrance, but Ten turned it round, and if you can believe it, was chucking them into the rampway. I'm going to write a letter to AEW at some point saying, would you please leave this inanimate structure alone? We certainly gave him a little something too because after that he got in the squared circle and took Serpentico and eliminated him. And after he squared up to Nick Comorato, well, these two rookies forgot about the veteran. So Dustin Rhodes was like, well, look, if you're not going to pay attention to anybody else, I'll knock you both out too. Comorato didn't like that, so he smashed Rose with a cowbell, which then allowed Hobbs to take him out. And then Christian Cage was back, and he was hitting the powerhouse with the kill switch. Like most battle rules, this was just go, 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 do something, do something, do something. We had a really nice moment when Matt Hardy and Christian Cage bumped into each other, because of course the history they have. And I'm just going to read you the next 10 people that did come out in five-person waves because my brain can't keep up with it. But it was the Varsity Blondes, it was Colt Cabana, it was Anthony Bowens and Penta, and they were soon followed up by Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, Aaron Solo, Evil Uno, and Lee Johnson. It did pick up in the ring, but let's be honest, everybody was sat there going, who's going to be the Joker? Who's going to be the Joker? Who is the wild card of 2021? And yeah, like I say, I didn't see this name mentioned anywhere. It was Leo Rush. This dude got a great pop as well, and he went absolutely nuts and was just attacking everyone and everything. But he may have taken one step too far because when it all came down to it, he didn't eliminate anybody and he got thrown out of there in around about three minutes. That came courtesy of Matt Hardy, so maybe we're going to do a little program there. But Leo did not last long. You can even say <laughs> it was rushed. 
Sorry. This then left private party Christian Cage, Matt Hardy and Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy got rid of Cassidy and then Matt Hardy accidentally drop-kicked his own guy so Mark Quen was out of there. And because that left him all of a flutter, Christian Cage grabbed Matt, he eliminated him, which meant we were down to two and it was Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage. And again, if you're trying to get a gauge of who is super duper popular right now, even though everybody loves Christian, they were so desperate for Jungle Boy to win, they booed Mr. Cage. They had a brilliant exchange too, and I honestly didn't know who was going to win, but as Christian ran at Jungle Boy, he gave him the backdrop over the top rope to earn a number one contendership shot at the AEW World title. The Jurassic Express came out to celebrate as Christian Cage accepted his defeat and said, oh man, you better use the most of this opportunity. And yeah, in about two weeks time, we are gonna get Jungle Boy versus Kenny Omega. What the hell is gonna happen there? And I will say this one was a little bit messy, but I like a good battle royal. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I was then kind of surprised because it was Anthony Agogo versus Cody Rhodes and let's all just sit down this is me pretending to sit down and have a little chat about it because everybody watches wrestling in a different way it's all going to depend on who you are and your own background and as somebody who is trying to become a good professional wrestler and thankfully that's starting up again soon as the world opens up I watched this and I was just so damn impressed with the one and only Anthony Agogo. I mean, wrestling is really hard. We forget that. Wrestling is a really difficult skill. And here was the former boxer having his first proper match in front of thousands of people, and who knows how many on pay-per-view and the internet in general. And he more than held his own. And at one point, busted out a frog splash which I'm not gonna lie, was pretty much damn near perfect. Cody also deserves a huge amount of credit for that because he's so good, he could work with 
me and make me look like Ric Flair. And the story here was, don't get in the way of Anthony Agogo's punch, because he will kill you. Anthony still landed a few of these and Cody sold them like he had been shot, but of course, in the build-up to this, Anthony Agogo had injured his ribs, so that kind of worked as a balancing point, because Cody, when he was in trouble, well, he'd smack him in the midsection. We also had some outside nonsense with QT Marshall and Arn Anderson, because these guys can't help themselves, and at one stage, Cody connected with a knee right to Agogo's face, which injured Anthony's eye. And do not forget, why is the reason he's not boxing anymore? Because he does have a bad eye kind of feel like we should have shouted about that more when it came to the narrative because it did tie into the finish or at least why anthony agogo was stunned cody locked in the figure four at one point but agogo was able to go old school and reverse that and when cody went for the crossroads agogo got out of the way of that and he did land the punch and he had the match won but you know the rules of wrestling when somebody's body is under the ropes that counts as a rope break the referee saw it, and we had to get back into the void. You kind of knew what was going to happen from here, and Agogo did go for his hammer, but instead, Cody Rhodes was able to bust out a vertebraker, which I haven't seen in ages, and that is such a devastating move. I'm kind of glad it was the finish, because if you are going to use the vertebraker, it should always win. But yes, the point is, Cody Rhodes did defeat Anthony Agogo in Anthony Agogo's first big match. Now, when you do look at it in hindsight, this was always going to go this way because Double or Nothing was happening during Memorial Day weekend and it had been America is Great, Salute the Flag. But I don't even care about all of that. For one, the fans live seemed to love it, but I was just so proud of Anthony Agogo, like I'm his dad, and that biology doesn't work. I was like, okay, cool. I'll have to see what the fallout is. But again, wrestling, not an easy thing to do, and he more than held his own. I want to make it very clear, because I know how the internet works. Yes, if someone had said, Simon, you booked the match, I would have had Anthony Agogo win. Because look at something like John Cena versus Kevin Owens. I know it's a little bit different, but Kevin Owens blarged onto the main roster, and he beat Big Match John, and everyone was like, well, flipping Nora, I didn't see that coming. So maybe AEW does have that plan when it comes for a round two. We'll have to wait and see. But just for my overwhelming happiness with seeing someone go from this country to one sport to another and kill it is getting it up. Miro and Lance Archer were next, and they took a very different direction. A direction of, shall we try and kill each other? Well, that sounds great. They just legged it for 10 minutes without even taking a break and Lance Archer got all his small flippy guy stuff in even though he's a giant dude and at one stage he even grabbed Miro and chucked him through a table. Now this was meant to make you go, oh he's going to win the TNT title and it worked. I was a little bit worried. Because Miro is a machine though, he just grabbed Lance Archer and he tried to pounce him and chucked him into the crowd. And from here, Miro hit Lance, so Lance hit Miro. And that's when Jake Roberts came out with his bag and pretended that the snake was inside. Now I'm sure in the story it was, but in real life it wasn't because Miro, he don't give a flub. He took this bag and he just chucked it up the entranceway. I mean, can you imagine? Miro was going to do whatever he had to do to keep that TNT title though. So as Lance Archer was trying to get back in the ring, he took his foot, he kicked the ropes and that hit Lance right in the balls. And look, I tell you as a man that does have testicles, that's going to cause a lot of pain. It led to the game over, which at first Miro struggled to get in. So instead he took his knee and just whammed it right into Lance Archer's back. A fair play to Excalibur because he was going, oh my gosh, years ago Archer had to have surgery on that area. And eventually he locked it in deep. And poor Lance Archer, he had to pass out wrestling's new favorite finish. This was a great change of pace though. It was just two human bags of meat laying lumps into each other. And sometimes 
as all I actually need when it comes to wrestling. Miro, also the greatest person ever. Britt Baker followed this, and she won the AEW's women's title up. We could just leave it there, to be honest, because sometimes it is about the destination rather than the journey. And Britt Baker has been smashing it for the past 12 months, or however long it's been. This was exactly the right thing to do. So yes, I could just move on to the next match, but instead I will give you a bit of context. Because this just followed such smart wrestling booking. Like at first, Sheeta was the better wrestler, so that annoyed Britt Baker to the point she rolled out the ring and got some love from Rebel. And after a while, she started to fight her way back into it, but of course she doesn't have much of a moral code, so when she could bend the rules, she bent them. My prediction also came true halfway through because Rebel did try and use the crutch, but she's such a clutch, she wham Britt Baker instead. And that was a nice little tease too, because it was like, oh, Sheena's gonna retain. And then she did not. Now, admittedly, at one point I was like, wait a minute, Britt Baker is kind of being treated like the good guy here, but just go listen to the fans. They were super duper behind DMD. There was a great near fall during all of this though, because she'd hit a falcon arrow and got the one, two kick out. And then finally the referee told Rebel to make like a tree and leave. This official was such an idiot though. She missed the fact that Britt Baker was trying to use the world title as a weapon, but she didn't actually connect. Sheeta then got another crazy near fall, but it actually all ended up with our champion in the lockjaw. She tapped out, Baker became the champion, and again, there's no way she's a bad guy. Fans have gone, oh, I can't believe it. this is the best thing ever, and I was doing it too. Britt celebrated afterwards as expected, and I am really excited about this reign, especially when Thunder Rosa gets pushed back into the mix. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. We are now going to do something that we have never done before here on Ups and Downs. Sting and Darby Allen versus Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. Golden up. That's all I'm gonna say too, because there is nothing else to say. Sting is 62 years old and he took a suplex on the ramp, that poor ramp again. He did a crossbody on both of these guys to the outside. He looked impossibly good and he got the win after hitting the Scorpion Deathlock onto Scorpio Sky. I was just so happy. It transported me back to being a stupid kid and I will never again hear a bad word against Sting because that man knows what he's doing when it comes to sports, entertainment, and wrestling. It's the highlight of my damn year, which is somewhat of an exaggeration, but right now, it feels like the highlight of my damn year. Sting, I love you, and I will do whatever you need me to do. I don't even know what that means, just Sting, the best. And hot on the heels of that was Kenny Omega versus Pac versus Orange Cassidy for the AEW World Championship. Flub me sideways, they just took entertainment and they injected it into my brain up. What you really need to do is you need to go and watch it. And I get it, it's not gonna be for everyone, but I actually feel sorry for those people. Because if you just want 30 minutes of roller coaster total nonstop action, hee hee, this is something you need to check out. I mean, I would argue that they are three of the best performers in the world, and yes, for vastly different reasons, but they came together here and they made magic. I don't even know where to start or where to finish. Just imagine three guys, a trio of dudes, who in the back went, let's go out there and try and steal the show, and they may very well have done that. I mean, Kenny Omega is just another level. He is otherworldly. Pat can have a five-star match with a goat, and Orange Cassidy, he's just the best thing about professional wrestling. Because the character is just nonsense and wonderful and would only work in this kind of setting, and if you do want to make him AEW World Champion at some point, you ain't gonna get a complaint out of me. He even had the thing won after the beach break onto Pack, and just as the referee's hand was coming down for the three, Don Callis was there and he pulled the official out of the ring. The reaction this got from the crowd, and then they started to chant, 
you don. The delay allowed Pac to lock in the brutalizer when Kenny Omega got back in the ring, and he just started hitting Pac right in the skull. But because Pac's a bit crazy, he refused to let go. So do you know what Kenny Omega did? He just hit the referee instead. And I know, why doesn't this count as a disqualification? It's a stupid rule in all triple threat matches. But this kind of ties into the theme of this week's ups and down. I was laughing because I thought it was so funny. So I don't even care. We then went full WWE as Omega punish Pac by getting every single one of his world title belt and just smashing him right in the head but he forgot this was a three-way and Orange Cassidy got back in there and he hit the orange punch. Orby Edwards then ran out because of course we didn't have a referee and honestly if you want some kind of climax to a wrestling match this was it because everybody including myself totally believed that Orange Cassidy this piece of fruit had done it and then just as she was about to get to three Kenny Omega, wait for it, reversed it into the most devastating move in all sports entertainment, the surprise crucifix, and he retained his gold. Now that is how you use that stupid overused finished. It completely got me and it completely gutted me after the fact. It also helped because afterwards Kenny Omega celebrated this like he was a damn hero, but what a match. Five stars, surely, on anybody's rating scale. You need to go and see it. I know I've said that a lot, but there was no point in me going, and they did this, and then they did that, because I would not be doing it justice. Wrestling is the best. We then only had one match left on AEW, which was, of course, Stadium Stampede. But before we got there, we had one last surprise, because Tony Schiavone walked to the ring. He got on the microphone. He said, hey, we've got Rampage starting soon. And guess who's going to be a color commentator? It's the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. He then came out and pretended to retire in his salmon suit. None of that happened. I made it up. But do not forget this. Mark Henry, Matt Hardy, Christian Cage, Paul White all got wrecked in WWE courtesy of Randy Orton and then made their way to All Elite Wrestling. So you've got to keep an eye on the Viper. He is literally booting people to another company. But I like the fact that Mark Henry's involved. You don't hear or find a bad word about him. He will bring a lot. Anywho, it was then time for our cinematic match. And look, was it as good as last year's? I would probably say no. But that comes down to the timing of the thing. The pandemic had just started. We all needed some fun in our life. And Stadium Stampede 1 brought that. But when it comes to Stadium Stampede 2, was it still just a enjoyable hit of enjoyment? That's the worst thing I've ever said. Yes, it was. Up. It was still full on cinema too as the first thing we saw was the inner circle rappelling down from the Jacksonville Jaguars scoreboard and as soon as Maxwell Jacob Friedman saw this he was like well that doesn't look very good so he hid in his limo. The pinnacle then turned up in an ATV and everybody kind of split off into pairs including Chris Jericho and MJF because as soon as Maxwell got out of his protective car well Chris Jericho just beat him up. I mean he threw him in the bin at one point and I mean that literally he actually put him in the trash and MJF responded by this by spitting coffee into Jericho's face and then getting the phone and whacking it on Jericho's head. And do not try and tell me this wasn't inspired by half-time heat between the rock and mankind because it most definitely was. It's mild. They then carried this on with some truly over-the-top moves when we cut to Jake Hagar and Wardlow, and they were doing the same kind of thing. I'm pretty sure they were trying to lock each other in a freezer, so this wasn't totally serious. And when that didn't work, they just went flying through a wall. It was then Sammy Guevara and Sean Spears' turn, and they were just obsessed with chairs, and they essentially had a chair fight. Like, imagine Star Wars with lightsabers, but instead of the lightsabers, it's still chairs. That's essentially what you got. Spears also went Kevin Nash at one point and lawn darted Sammy Guevara, and that always looks horrendous. And then we cut to Santana and Ortiz and FTR and Tully Blanchard, who are hanging out in what I can only describe 
as a really grungy bar. They started to break bottles over everybody's heads when it was revealed the DJ was Conan. I was like, man, I must be asleep and I must be having some kind of weird fever dream. But there was so much more stuff like this that if you want to see all the in-jokes, you're going to have to check it out for yourself. I mean, at one point, we were using a cardboard cutout of Shad Khan as a weapon, and yes, he is the father of Tony Khan. Eventually, they made their way to the arena, and all the fans greeted them with a thunderous noise, and Jericho got his big revenge for blood and guts. He grabbed MJF, and he powerbombed him through this box-like structure. Sammy then also got over his demons as he commandeered a golf cart and took out Sean Spears as those two made their way to the ring. And this is when I realized, oh man, this whole match has been set up to give Sammy Guevara a massive rub and I presume put him on his way to superstardom. Now, yes, there were some absolutely horrible chair shots here to both these guys' head. And personally, I don't think we need to be doing this because I worry about their brains. But it ended with a tremendous 6.30 by Sammy onto Sean Spears and he just crushed his poor man's ribs and he got the victory so the inner circle they don't have to break up. And I do have to kind of say the Pinnacle are a little bit rubbish in kayfabe, but who cares? And for those that are going, why wasn't the world title match last? Well, I'll tell you. The last thing that we saw on Double or Nothing was everybody singing Judas, everybody having a good time, so that when they left, they felt all warm and fuzzy in your tum-tum. And if there's one thing you can take from this pay-per-view, it's that satisfaction was top of the menu. And I felt nice, and I think right now, everybody feels nice. It was a terrific way to let fans back in properly, if we do want to call it that. And you can see the count is like, Simon, you're so biased. No, I'm not. I'm just very positive, and I love good wrestling. That's why overall, it is getting it up. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.